Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of The Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of The Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it going. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out if you go to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And you can join the ALPO for as little as $22 a year. For more information, find us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And the Observer's Notebook also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for that name. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, episode 178, and we're talking the Great Eclipse of 2024. Stay tuned. like to welcome everybody back to this edition, uh, this very special edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have a return visitor to the podcast. Uh, he's been on a few times before, John O'Neill. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Uh, thank you, Tim. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, John, you were first here, I think, in 2018 to talk about this Parker Solar Probe. Yes, yes. That, that thing uh, is still doing amazing things today. It just broke another record for closest vehicle to the sun and fastest moody moving wow. object we ever put into space so it's and it's coming up with some incredible science that's fantastic probably have to have you on again to talk about that okay yeah that yeah. that would be fun yeah and then in 2020 you came on and we talked about how do you plan an observing session which i think was very good for a lot of our newer listeners too ah uh, yes yes it's always always fun uh you walk outside at night and you see the entire sky and it's like, oh my gosh, where do I start? Right, right. It's good well, to have a plan. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have a plan. Well, before we get into it, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from and what kind of instruments you use and what your interests are. Okay, well, I've, I'm from originally Northern Ohio. I lived in the Lorraine Amherst Lyria area of Ohio along the shores of Lake Erie for the first 62 years of my life. At which point I retired and moved to North Carolina, where Dorothy and I are living now and living the dream. Uh, 
I got into, I was interested in science and astronomy as a kid, but I didn't really actively pursue it until the early 70s when I joined an astronomy club. Mm -hmm. And I mainly got interested in nighttime astronomy, but then I met uh, a fellow member of the club, Randy Shivak, who oh, yeah. a lot of people refer to as Mr. Solar Astronomy. Right. His, his wife runs the uh, youth membership. The yes, Pamela. Yes. Yeah. And I met him and he was very deep into the sun, actually having built his own solar observatory. Uh, and in 2012, he interested me to the point where I went out and bought solar filters and actually started looking at the sun. And now today I have, uh, oh, gee, I have a Lunt 60 millimeter refract solar refractor, a five inch F 9.4 refracting scope that I built myself just for solar observing Oh my! with my quarks. I have a, Hydrogen alpha, sodium D, and calcium H quarks, and a Lunt calcium K filter, which is a little narrower, so it's a little better for imaging than uh -huh. the H filter. Uh, I have a Corona telescope built built by a fellow named Man or Van out in California in the fifties, and I, I just really, really enjoy solar astronomy uh you know a lot of people think well you look at the sun you've seen it once you it's it's the sun it's the same always but it's not the sun every day is every second i mean right you can't take images of the sun for more than 30 seconds because it's moved mm -hmm. in that time frame and your images start to smear so that That's tells right. you how dynamic the sun is and we're still learning a lot from the sun as well. Yes, yes. Very good. And now with the Parker Solar Probe up there and the European Space Agency's Solar Orbiter uh, complementing each other, we, we've got some great science coming from the sun right now. That's great. And that leads us into our topic today. Uh, for those of you that might have heard, there's an astronomical event happening this April, uh, a little thing known as a total solar eclipse. It's going to be visible from just about everywhere. Um, is it too late to start planning? Um, sort of. <laughs> but okay. no, no, it's it's never too late. Um, the main consideration in planning the solar eclipse is finding a place to lay your head at night. Uh -huh. um, Some people that might be the backseat of their car. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're planning on going to Fredericksburg, Texas. Yeah, we'll be there as well. Oh, great. Maybe yeah. we'll have to hook up. I think so. I've already talked to Pam about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Pam ordered us a VRBO, a Verbo, mm -hmm. uh, two years ago. Yep. And we got a decent. Uh, I checked last week in preparation for this to see what a Verbo would cost now. Uh -huh. And they're over $1,000 a night. Oh, yeah. With like a three-night minimum usually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Some of them are five and seven 
day minimums. Yeah, we booked a campsite. I booked it two years ago before they knew there was going to be an eclipse there. And I got it yep. for 65 bucks a night. And uh, uh, <laughs> in January, they contacted me. So, uh, uh, by the way, it's now $165 a night. And I'm like, that's fine. I knew they were going to do that. You know, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't bother me. We're, we're staying there four nights. So I'm, I don't want to deal with traffic. I did that in 2017 and I'm never going to do that again. Yes. Uh, so that's the biggest consideration is finding a place to stay. If you know somebody along the center line and you're just starting to plan now, that might be your best bet is to find somebody that'll house you for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, because motels, campgrounds even, uh, are going to be filled up. Yeah. And you don't want to, you don't want to drive to the location either that day. No, exactly. That, that's a really good point. Uh, get there a day or two early yeah. and stay a day or two after, mm-hmm. uh, during the 2017 eclipse, Dorothy and I and the Shivex went up to Smith's Ferry, Idaho. And 10 minutes after the eclipse was over, the road going south toward Boise was deadlocked and stayed that way for hours. Yep. Uh, The road going north was wide open because there's nothing to the north of Boise. Right. So we went north to a lodge that we had reserved and stayed there for two days and then took that south road home. Uh, You need to think about that and keep that kind of thing in your mind when you're planning. Uh, Get there early, stay a couple days late, and you should be fine. If you try to get there or leave that day, you're going to have problems. Right. Uh, For the 2017 eclipse, we were at a big field up in Madras, Oregon, with about 500 other cars. And Mm -hmm. right before the eclipse, I asked my wife, well, do you want to stay until the eclipse is over, over? Or till totality's over. She goes, Oh no, I want to wait till it's over over. I said, Great. The second totality awesome. en- the second totality ended, every car around us in the entire parking lot started up. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I looked at it and I said, Well, I think we should try to get out of here now. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. It took yeah. us 10 hours to go 100 miles. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and that's to be expected. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, not, I'm not gonna do that this time. Well, they I saw something online just this morning that said that the expected visitors to Fredericksburg, Texas, mm-hmm. where we're going to be, is could be up to 500,000 people. Right. And Fredericksburg City Council made a conscious decision to do zero publicity. For oh, wow. The, for Fredericksburg. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. They had, they had their town hall meeting online and i logged into it to watch it and they said we we are not doing any advertisement for the eclipse no wow. and wow. and there's zero still advertising. Many people coming and they're they, they know they know they're on the center line but they're like yep. we just don't want to we it's going to be crowded enough if we advertise it's going to be even crazier yes oh my gosh yes <laughs> now the other aspect of planning is weather uh with the eclipse being april 8th pretty much anywhere you go along the center line you're going to have prospects for bad weather Mm -hmm. um of course if you go to mexas or or texas or mexico 
your entrant your chances of having clear sky will be slightly better than probably anywhere else along center line. Right. Uh, like I said, I lived in Ohio for 62 years and I can't remember an April that had a clear day in it for 62 years. So <laughs> oh, my. I'm sure there were some, but yeah, they're few and far between. And that's going to be the case pretty much the entire mm-hmm. center line. Mm-hmm. So it, and one of the links at the bottom of the page, um, I've included a link there for an interactive eclipse locator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can click on that and move up and down the center line. And then there's another link inside that page you can click, and it'll show you what the eclipse is actually going to look like from that location. Yeah, that's all in the show notes. So if you... When you're done listening to this, you go down to the show notes and all the links and everything will be down there for you to for you to check out. Yeah. And that, that's a good way to get a good idea. Uh for instance, the spot we picked has a lot of trees on it. Mm-hmm. And we weren't really sure if we were going to be able to see over those trees. Uh so when I ran that animation that's on that link. It showed me that the sun is going to be 63 degrees up in the sky. Right. So at that height, it's going to be over those little trees. Good. So it, it that will help you determine from your location what it's going to look like, where the sun's going to be, and then you can figure out if there's going to be anything in the way. Yeah, and and I, I'm afraid of the, uh, a concern to tie in with weather and traffic is that if you are clouded out, are you going to be able to move? Yeah, I I would doubt that. Yeah. Because those 500,000 people that are going to show up in your location that day, mm-hmm. if it's cloudy, we're all going to want to move. Yep. 500,000 people are going to be hitting the roads going the same way at the same time. Yep. And you're going to miss the eclipse sitting out in the middle of a freeway somewhere. So That's right. I... My thoughts right now are find your spot, hope for the best. And if it's cloudy, well, then you can do things that you can do on a cloudy day during a total solar eclipse. Really? Yeah. Um, One of the things you always hear about an eclipse is, oh, it got really dark. (laughs) How dark's really dark? Uh, At the 2017 eclipse, it got dark. I wouldn't say it got really dark. You know, it got dark, but the whole horizon was blue all the way around. Mm-hmm. So how dark is dark? Well, if you take a light meter with you, or if you have a high node solar scintillation monitor, you can use that to measure how bright and how dark the sky is. And if it's cloudy, that darkening is still going to happen. So you can still measure that even Mm -hmm. if it's cloudy out. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take a temperature probe, you can record how much the temperature drops, even if it's cloudy. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were, we were at the annular eclipse in Albuquerque and, and the group I was with, a lot of them had never, ever seen an eclipse before any eclipse. Oh, wow. And so they're like, it's getting cold out. So a lot of them went inside, put their jackets on, and came back out. I said, yeah, the sun's disappearing, basically. Yeah, your heat source. 
Yeah. So, you know, I'd encourage people to take a temperature probe, take a light beater of some kind and record this stuff and quantify it because a reading that I take in Texas isn't going to be the same as someone up in Ohio is going to get because the temperatures are going to be different. Uh, The thickness of the clouds may be different. So if we could get a whole bunch of people taking these measurements and submitting them to Alpo, there you go. Then we could do something with that. Right. Very good. Now, what about visual observing of the eclipse? Visual observing. No, that's, <laughs> uh, you know me, I'm a photographer. I, I prefer right. to talk about photographing, but for people that want but to you, view. But you don't want your eyes stuck to the IPC the entire time. Right. You right. want to take a step back and look. Yes. So there is a lot to actually observe during an eclipse and especially a total eclipse. Um, if you have a pair of safety solar glasses, you can watch the entire partial stages of the eclipse. And once the eclipse becomes total, well, wait a minute, just seconds before it becomes total, if you take a white piece of paper or cardboard, and I took a three by four square and set it on an easel facing the sun, and just seconds before totality, you can actually see shadow bands where the thin, very thin crescent will create what's called shadow bands on a sheet of white paper. And you'll see the scintillation moving back and forth. It looks like snakes writhing across really a sheet of paper. And that's that was really amazing. I, I actually photographed that as well as as saw it with my own eyes it was incredible now would you would you just take a still photo of that or maybe a small movie or you have to do a movie um a still photo would just show the lines but okay you see the you see the movement with the video okay Um, and then of course once totality starts you have a whole host of features uh okay the one of the first things you usually see is well, this is as totality begins, too. You're, you're going to see the shadow of the sun approaching mm-hmm. from the west. So if, if you've got that video camera, when you're done with your shadow bands, turn it to the west. And a lot of people have videos of the shadow approaching and zooming over top of you. Mm-hmm. And that's really fun to watch. So if you have a camera, fine. If not, just look to the west and watch for it mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing uh, yeah because there was a mountain range to the west of us in in uh in oregon and i did that i, t- I told everybody okay look at that mountain the mountain was in sunlight all of a sudden you saw the shadow just race over the mountain yes. and race toward us it was amazing yes we saw the same thing yeah and i kind of wish we'd have had a flat horizon so we could have seen it coming a lot uh, sooner but with the mountain there, it was still pretty dramatic when it yeah. crossed. That it, shadow it, it, crested that mountain. Yep. Okay, then once totality begins, uh, one of the first things you usually see is the diamond ring. And a diamond ring is just a spot where there's a maybe a little dimple in the moon's surface, maybe a crater or something. And the sunlight will shine through that, and the rest of the 
sun will be obscured, and it looks like it looks like a diamond ring. Mm-hmm. Thus, its name. Uh, immediately following that, you're, you'll see Bailey's beads, which are just more and more of the little unevenness on the moon's edge that mm-hmm. creates little bright spots are beads and they're bright red and they're called Bailey's beads. So watch for those. Uh, and then the most, one of the most exciting things is seconds after that, you'll start seeing prominences and a prominence is an area where there's material outgassing from the sun. And it, it looks like a red flame sticking out the side of the sun basically mm-hmm. is what it looks like. Uh, but these start appearing all down one side of the sun as the moon, as the moon's edge ingresses a little bit more into the sun. Uh, once totality is complete, that's when you see the black circle of the moon surrounded by the white edges of the sun. Mm-hmm. And then the corona will pop out. Mm-hmm. Oh, the corona is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's the upper atmosphere of the sun. Yes, and it extends out 10, 15, 20, 25 degrees uh, from the sun. So for visual use, you would just want to stand back and take that all in. If you have mm-hmm. a camera, you're going to want a wide-angle mm-hmm. camera at that point. Uh, at that point, it's dark. And you're going to see planets and bright stars begin appearing in the sky around the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2024, we're going to have Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, all available for viewing right around the sun. Right. And Tim, you know about something else that's going to appear yeah, periodic comet Pons Brooks yes. is going to be visible. It's called the Devil's Comet. I don't know why, but it's going to be visible uh, uh, near the sun as well. And comets are always brighter when they're near the sun because they like the planets. They reflect the sunlight. So that should be pretty impressive, too. Photographs of the fully eclipsed sun and uh, a comet nearby. It's going to be a nice comet, too. Yes. And it there's... A little bit of dispute about how bright mm. that comet will be. Well, it's a April comet. 8th. That's always a thing with comets. It, exactly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, right now, the most accepted values are two and a half magnitude. That's well within the reach of seeing. Right. Uh, right. And some estimates go all the way down to minus two or mm-hmm. minus four which is brighter than venus mm-hmm. uh, if you want to try to look for the comet locate jupiter to the let's see that would be to the east right and it'll just be a couple degrees from jupiter mm-hmm. say if jupiter were a clock it would be about two o'clock from jupiter and that would put it about 25 and a half, 24 and a half degrees from the sun to the left. But yeah, that's going to be exciting. My, I I told my wife that'll be a, 
a lifetime achievement for me to actually capture a comet and an eclipse at the same time. Yeah, that's a goal of mine as well, to get a photograph like that. Yes. Very good. Now, talking about that, what are some of the tips and techniques you can give us about photographing an eclipse? Uh, photographing. Okay, down in the notes, show notes at the bottom, I've got a couple of links. And there are some apps out there that you can download. If you're going to be using a DSLR camera, mm -hmm. uh, I'd recommend Fred Brunge's Eclipse Orchestrator for DSLR cameras. Uh, basically, you load your Eclipse information and times into this and set your camera settings and you put your camera on a tripod and you leave it and you don't touch it for the entire Eclipse other than removing and replacing the solar filter during totality. Uh, so that's that's a really easy way to get going with the DSLR. Uh, if you have a smartphone, they have a new app just came out with well, maybe a year ago. It's called Solar Snap. And it's a little program you use with your phone. You take a piece of safety solar glasses and cut the lens out and place it over your camera lens. And put your cat your smartphone on a tripod and use this app to take images of the sun during the eclipse. And of course, again, during totality, you take the solar filter off. As soon as it's over, you put it back on and you can continue photographing. Um, so th those are two apps that I found really, really useful. Uh as far as like the video cameras, if you have a GoPro, mm -hmm. GoPros are nice, but there is one very important thing you need to remember if you're using a GoPro. Don't put the thing in manual or in auto mode. Mm. Uh, fortunately, I learned about this before I went to my first eclipse, and somebody told me to not do that because if you're in auto mode, when it gets dark, auto mode's going to brighten your image. Ah. <laughs> so point. then it won't appear dark. That's a good point. <laughs> Which everybody wants to capture those moments of darkness. Right. So if you use a GoPro or any kind of camera, put it in manual mode and, you know, adjust your settings as you see fit. You know, if when it's dark, you want the image to go dark uh another thing i really like to see people do is if you take an image even with a gopro use a speaker uh or a microphone i'm sorry use a microphone and record uh the goings on around you during totality i'll, I'll never forget my first yeah when totality started and you hear 5,000 people around you ooing yeah. and aahing yeah. and jumping down and Big celebrating. cheering going on, yeah. Yes, it's it's pretty incredible. And to capture that is really nice mm -hmm. to go back years later and watch that and see how excited everybody was and how excited I was. And the people around me and my friends, you can hear them shouting. And mm -hmm. It's just a really nice social thing to try to capture a video. Uh, 
if you have two cameras, it's nice. I faced one north and faced one south. Wow. So the one facing south, you can actually see the eclipse sun and the goings on, everybody with their backs to you. And then I went south. It was faced one north, so you could see everybody's faces. And so, so how, that, many, how many cameras are you going to be using? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think about eight or nine. Yeah. But the, the key thing is if you're using a camera, study, read, learn about what the capabilities are of your cameras and what you can do to control them without being at them. Mm -hmm. Like the links I provided mm -hmm. uh, tell us how to set up a camera so you can leave it unattended. Right. The only real thing you have to do is during totality is pull filters off and then as soon as it's over, put filters back on. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about imaging in April at this eclipse is I just bought one of the new Sea Star S50. Yeah, me too. Smart telescopes by ZWO. Yep. Uh, I found that if I point that at the sun before the partial phases begin and take an image every two seconds. When the eclipse is over, I'll have a two minute long video spanning first contact to last contact. Oh, there you go. And the thing gets a nice full disc yep. image in the sun. Uh, so that's an instance where, again, you set it up beforehand. You don't, even concern yourself with it the whole time. Well, you're, and, won't you have to remove the solar filter, though? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. you will have to remove the filter at totality start. Then four and a half minutes later, you're going to have to put it back on. And if so, this eclipse is like any other eclipse I've seen, the four and a half minutes seems like eight seconds. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it goes by very, very, very fast. And like you, you you've... you've you've multitasked during these eclipses before you, you pretty much have your plan for what you're going to yeah. do. But if you're a rookie solar eclipse viewer, or this is your second or third, take a minute. Cause you got four yeah. and a half, take yes. a minute, pull your face away from the telescope or the camera and just look up and look around the very first total eclipse I ever saw. I went to Montana for, and I did not do that. Oh, I, I had my eye in my camera the entire time. And it was oh. over, and I went, I never looked at the sky. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. At, at uh, that, that point, will, yeah, that'll convince you to make sure you do next time. Yes, and that's been <laughs> a point of mine every single time when I do this. It's like, okay, we're at mid-eclipse. Step back, look around, look at the sky, look at the people. Yes. Know? And take yes. it all in, because this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime event for, for, for a lot of people. I mean, the next total solar eclipse visible in the United States is 2044. Yep. And for a lot of folks, especially folks our age, this may be our last. Yep. On the continent. On the continent, right. Yeah. You travel. Yeah. Do you travel to other eclipses though? Uh no, I don't. Okay. No. I uh the 2017 was my first solar eclipse. Total solar eclipse. Oh wow. But like I said, I've been doing this for 50, 60 years yeah. now. I've seen hundreds of lunar eclipses. Uh, 
And well, let me point out, as I'm mentioning this, if you've seen a lunar eclipse, uh, shooting a solar eclipse isn't that much different other than the filters involved. Hmm. Uh, it's very similar. As a matter of fact, in, oh, when is it? March? Mm-hmm. We have a total solar eclipse of the moon coming up. Solar lunar eclipse, yeah. A lunar eclipse, yes. I'd encourage everybody to go out and shoot that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be visible across the United States. Uh, here on the East Coast, it's going to start around midnight and end at 5 a.m. So you're going to be outside all night if you do this. But, yep. uh, you know, take your, if you plan on taking cameras, take your cameras out and photograph the lunar eclipse in March. And, that will make you so much more prepared. Right. But also going back to the solar eclipse, you can practice now with your camera equipment. Yes. I mean, exactly. it, even though yes. it's not an eclipse sun, if you've got a solar filter, don't wait until April 8th to start taking pictures of the sun. Thank you. Work out your problems and your exposures for the early stages of of partial phases now yep i can't highlight that enough yes i mean that's something you you should know what your focal length should be your your f-stop your your exposure settings should be when the eclipse starts not guessing because it's not like you can have a (laughs) do-over yeah and this this eclipse will be for minutes long for mm-hmm. most of the people along the line especially if they're on the center line yeah uh and some of us will get more than four minutes mm-hmm. uh so that does give you a little time to play around if you want to change exposures right. right uh one of the things i recommend with dslrs is they have a a bracketing feature mm-hmm. where you can tell it Look at the sun, determine, you know, like in auto, what the brightness level should be, and then shoot that image, and then go one, two, and three steps above that, and then one, two, and three steps below that, and it'll shoot them like in a burst mode. Mm-hmm. So you hit the button, and it'll go, and you're done. It's shot. It just shot six or seven pictures, all bracketed out. One of those is going to turn out. One of right. them is going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that, that's a good method of, I don't know if you could say cheating, mm-hmm. but that, that helps assure that you get a properly exposed image of the sun. Yeah, and, and I practiced during the annular eclipse too, because that was yes, that was easy way to practice for a total eclipse. And I yes. did that. That's where I figured out my exposures for April. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of hard to talk exposures really because there's so many different types of cameras out right. there now so many different lenses and if you have a fixed lens or a prime lens or a zoom lens or a wide angle lens they're all going to take different exposures so and what kind of filter are you using as well oh yes yes uh as far as filters if you want to image i highly recommend uh bader bader i'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it it's B-A-A-D-E-R uh, filters. They're a true 
white light filter. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the sun through those, the sun appears in its natural color, white. It doesn't show up as orange or pink or purple or blue like some of these other filters do. Uh, it's a pure, beautiful white sun. And it's a lot less dense than the other filters. So it lets more light through quicker. Mm-hmm. So you can use higher exposure rates with it and get more images in the same amount of time as you'd get with the darker colored film. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you know if you're gonna if you're thinking about purchasing a solar filter, look at look at the B-A-A-D-E-R filters. Okay, good point. Yeah, a lot of filters, uh, even the filter for the C-Star uh, S50 telescope, it's like a Mylar filter. Yes, yes. And it it works, but I guarantee before the eclipse comes, I'll have a beta filter on mine. Oh, will you? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Let me know um, as, as far as other things, there, there's still a lot you can do. Uh, some people build uh, pinhole projectors. And basically, it's very easy. Just take any object. Uh, I've seen a lot of people use paper plates. And just take a pencil or a pen and poke little holes in it. Yeah, my wife used a colander for the yes, uh, for the yes, uh, that's eclipse. Yep, a colander works great too. Uh, if there's a tree nearby, go stand along the edge of the tree and look at the shadow of the leaves on the ground. You'll see little crescent shapes there, and he, that's something you can only do, of course, during the uh, the partial phases. I. I don't know if you would be able to see them during totality because the shadows would be pretty dim. Yeah, we saw it during the angular phase, so. Yes. Uh, And, yeah, the last thing I want to say about observing the clips, and you already said it, Tim, but I'll just reiterate. Take some time out. Just stop. Take a deep breath in, let it out, and just stand there and look. Uh, Forget about all your cameras, your videos, your stills. Forget about what the people around you are doing. Just just focus on you and the eclipse. Mm -hmm. And just stand there and take a look and be amazed. Uh, I sort of thought when I went to my very first total solar eclipse, it's like, this is just going to be like any lunar eclipse I've ever mm. seen. I've seen hundreds of mm-hmm, those. Mm-hmm. How is this going to be any different? But my golly, when it turns dark in the middle of the day and it gets cold out and the I mean, birds start stop chirping. and Right. It's it, just. It's, <laughs> it's a life-changing experience. It is. And, it that, is. and that's not minimizing it either. <laughs> Right. That's, that's 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 exactly how I view it. And I, my wife, the second the last one was over, she goes, "When's the next one?" First words, <laughs> out, first words out of her mouth. When's the next wow. one? Wow, wow. And I've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, and I, I really admire the people who were fortunate to see one as a child, mm-hmm. and then they've grown up and said, "I'm never going to miss another one again." And yep. yep. They go to them all. 
I know people oh. that have gone to more than 12. Yeah, it's just they wow. travel around the world. Yes. Now, the next solar, total solar eclipse is going to be in 2025. But you're going to have to travel to the very southern tip of South America to right. see it. And I doubt if prospects for weather will be very good then either. But mm -mm. that's... That's a long way to travel to see an eclipse, but I understand why people do it mm -hmm. and why they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Well, John, you got anything else to add about the eclipse? Um, just one thing. In your planning, you know, when you are looking for a site, Kind of look at that area's climate records. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that convinced us on Fredericksburg is if you go back through their mm -hmm. weather models or weather recordings over the last couple hundred years that they're, they've been recording weather, uh, there's like actually about a 60% chance there that it could be clear that day. Mm -hmm. Or if you start looking in Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, right up in those areas, it's like a 25 or 30% chance. Right. right. That's exactly what I uh, did too when I picked Fredericksburg. Yes. And if you don't want to go to Fredericksburg, there's plenty of spots right around there. There's Uvalde, Kerrville. Mm -hmm. Uh oh gee, I can't think of the other names of the towns, but right along that strip of Texas, there's there's a lot of places you can go. So go where you think the weather's gonna be best for you, yeah. or where you can get to spend a free night there. Yeah, you know, there you <laughs> there's, there's also a cruise that they still have cabins available in Mazatlan. So oh, there you go. Yeah, so. That's an option. That's an option. And the nice thing about a cruise ship, it can move. Yes. Yes. That that might be one of the best options, actually, for this eclipse. But, you know, I, I'm sure there's people that will be amenable to that. And others, like myself, I really don't like big ships. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm a but, cruiser. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a cruiser? I'm a cruiser. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, John, this has been great. I really want to thank you for stepping up and coming on the podcast today and giving us a highlights of uh, the upcoming total solar eclipse. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity, Tim, and I encourage everybody to get out there and go somewhere where they can see totality. Uh, it, as you said, it's a life changing experience and something that none of us should miss, especially. Uh, the older generations who may not be here in 2044. So True. get out there now and see this one while, while you can. All right. And I'll buy you a drink in Fredericksburg. Okay. That sounds like a plan. I'll buy you one. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Talk okay. to you later. All right, Tim. Bye-bye. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank 
John O'Neill, for coming on the podcast today and giving us a really good conversation about the upcoming total solar eclipse. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please give us a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Echo, Spotify, and this podcast is also on our ALPO YouTube channel. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you'll receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. With that, I'd like to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, and Michael Moyer for their generous support. The link for Patreon is link, as well the link for the Alpo is also in the show notes. You can get a hold of me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.